Let's all go to Romans chapter 2. There's a lot of different things that I could preach on in this chapter, chapter 2. It's a little overwhelming when you begin to read and the Lord speaks to you about certain things and you know you only got a certain amount of time that you can teach on it. Um, I'm going to split it up a little bit. I think tonight I'm going to do a message on simply the judgment of God and the aspects that we learn here about his judgment. Uh, Today I want to talk about this morning about escaping the judgment of God escaping the judgment of God. And uh, so we'll read from verse number one uh, down to verse number four, I believe it is. It says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for when, for when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that, doest, thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to, the, to truth, against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? For if the hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would just help me as I go through this message today to bring out what I need to for the sake of everybody in the room. Uh, Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that has not received Christ, that Lord, today they would be saved. Lord, uh, we don't want to, we don't want anybody to face that day of wrath. And Lord, we know that Jesus Christ is the only escape. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here would know that there's been a time that they've received Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So God gave us a plan. He gave us a plan of salvation. Because there is judgment. And the Bible says, how can you escape if you're, ne- if you're going to neglect so great a salvation? And it is sad because uh, even this week I was going out and we were knocking on some doors and talking to some people. And um, I went to one house and this man opened up the door and uh, we had a conversation. As long as we weren't politicians, he was happy. And I said, no, we're not politicians. Amen. Uh, But then as I began to speak to him, uh, we asked a little bit about his church background and so forth, but then I asked him about his salvation. And that's when things turned off. Then he wanted to close the door and now it's time for me to go. Click, (laughs) you know. Folks, that's neglecting salvation. You think about the goodness of God that has come to you and those of you that are born again here today, that he came to you and brought you the message of salvation. I mean, it wasn't that you found it under a rock somewhere. I mean, God purposely set up the events and time for you to hear the gospel of your salvation, and you got saved. That's a great love that he has for us. For us to neglect that 
is a sad thing. It's a sad thing. And I think of so many people, you know, I know there's not a whole lot of people going to people's homes and trying to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. But just to think that God would come to your door with a message that is going to save your soul and then you neglect it. Now, I'm not saying it's too late for this gentleman. Uh, God is a very merciful and great God. And I, I may be just one little cog in the wheel for this. But the fact of the matter is, it's a dangerous thing to neglect so great a salvation. Hebrews 12, verse 25 says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Amen. Let's be careful. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ, please don't neglect that. You can't escape. Do you understand that every person must face judgment? Every person. Now, the thing is this, there's a two, kind of a two-pronged judgment here. There's the aspect of judgment for sin. See, for each one in this room, you have to face a judgment for sin. Now, the thing is, if you have realized that if you would face that judgment for sin, that you would not fare well. And in fact, if you even have the minutest of sin, you would have to face what God the judge said, and for the wages of sin is death. And if you've come to that realization, you, you know that there's no way that you're going to escape by yourself. You're not going to escape at all yourself. You need Christ. He paid that for you on the cross of Calvary. He is your escape, but in doing that, he became the one that bore your judgment. That's what the word propitiation means. <laughs> he took the wrath of God for you on your behalf on that cross. So you didn't necessarily not be judged. You just allowed him to bear your judgment for you. That's, we call that the substitutionary atonement. He substituted himself for you. He put himself on the cross while you, didn't, you don't have to go to the cross. Amen? This passage is dealing with a group of people on the earth. We looked at last chapter was people that just didn't care about righteousness. They just loved sin. I don't care what you say about God. I'm making up my own story here. I'm not going to listen to your Bible verses. I'm not going to hear what you think about God. And the Bible says they, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And so God gave them over to reprobate mind. And they were filled with all unrighteousness. It's, it's one thing to have some unrighteousness, but to be filled with all of it is quite something. And yet these people that are given over, there's nothing that they will stop at as far as their unrighteousness is concerned. Now we're in a, in a passage here where we're dealing more with a self-righteous mentality, still lost. In fact, hell it will still be their judgment, just like the one in chapter one. Yet they may be religious. You know that religion can't save you? There are religious but lost people on this planet. And some of them look pretty good. In fact, the Pharisees of the Jesus' day looked really good. Everybody thought they were the it. These guys had to be respected because they were the holy ones. The separated ones is what it means. But they were lost. In fact, Jesus pointed that out very clearly when he came. And he, he even told them straight to their face, 
you will die in your sins. Wow. I would never want to hear those words. I'm glad I never will hear those words because Christ has become my atonement. Amen. So the self-righteous. We've looked a little bit at this. I kind of went off and did a couple of sermons on uh, how spiritual people judge. Because what I don't want you to think is in this passage, and we're living in that age where Christians don't want any judgment whatsoever. And so no, no judge. As soon as you mention something's wrong, oh, don't judge. We can do whatever we want. We're the age of grace. Grace is licensed just to continue on doing what we want to do. No, sir. <laughs> the Bible says the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And it says teaching us to deny ungodliness. So grace is uh, something that leads you to righteousness and godliness. It doesn't lead you away or into some category where I don't have to live right. Grace is the engine that helps you to live right. But you first have to have Christ inside of you. That grace that brought you salvation initially now becomes the engine that helps you to live right. Amen. But don't think for a second because you have grace for salvation that God's not concerned about you living right. In fact, it's all about righteousness. In fact, that's what the Bible says. Therein is righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith within the gospel. How am I going to get these sinners that are depraved on their way to hell to be saved and to live holy? Seems like an impossible task. Really, when you think about it, but what Jesus did made it possible. He made it possible. He redeemed us. He set up shop inside of us. And then he started to work out of that place through us so that our lives would reflect his righteousness to the world. It seems like an impossible thing, but he found the way. Amen. Because he's God. Amen. So judgment is an interesting topic because a lot of people say, just don't judge, don't judge. And as soon as you say that's wrong or that's wrong, or you ought to live separated lives, or you ought not be doing that or going there, all of a sudden you're a legalist. Folks, a legalist is this, someone that adds works to salvation. That's the Pharisee. That's the self-righteous. See, folks, people like us, we're not relying on our righteousness one bit. We're coming before him empty and saying, Lord, if you didn't die for me and if you're not going to do this, I'm going straight to hell. So if you're not going to save me, I cannot be saved. Amen? Empty of righteousness. And in fact, if you come to God with your own righteousness, you can't be saved. You have to empty yourself first. You have to come to the point where you realize judicially that you are guilty of the crime you're being charged with. See, that's how you get the point across to the judge. <laughs> guilty. Doesn't a person that is guilty, when they plead guilty, kind of get more mercy than someone who is guilty that pleads not guilty and then they get found out to be guilty? You understand that? We all plead guilty in the courtroom of God. This kind of judgment is criticizing, finding fault, always looking for some reason to look down on others, that somehow they're worse than you or you're better than them. It makes you feel better about yourself. But I'll tell you something. When you start at the bottom, you don't have to worry about all of that. 
because you realize everybody's kind of the same. Like I said, in Sunday school, it's like dirt criticizing dirt just for being dirt. That's you criticizing me. You understand? So when a person begins criticizing someone else or judging someone else, what they're really in essence saying is, I am better than you. And they condemn them because of that. And the Lord says, that's not the kind of judging we're into here. Judgment isn't about condemning or it isn't about lifting yourself up or putting someone else down. True judgment and spiritual judgment is when you are concerned for the safety of yourself and others and you are concerned about salvaging people. Then you have to judge situations. Every one of you fathers is a judge. Every time your child wants to go somewhere, you become a judge. You say, no, I'm not going to allow you to go there because that is not right for you. The poor parent that stands there and says, oh, I believe we ought to let our kids just choose. (laughs) See, that's the outflow of this judge not mentality. And that's why our kids are messed up today. Daddy needs to be a judge. You need to make sure things are safe for them. You need to protect them. That's why we have this rule, our children don't go sleep over. Oh, but we want to have fun. Well, we'll have fun other ways, except sleeping over, amen. There's just things you have to do to protect your family. And daddy, remember, you're going to be held accountable wherever your children are. You put them in school, you're still accountable. Whatever that goes into their head is because of you. And God's not going to hold somebody else responsible. He's going to hold you. You understand that? Well, I don't like that. Well, then don't do it. (laughs) Amen. Or make sure your teachers are good and godly teachers. Things are different than the way they used to be. When I went to elementary school, my principal had a Bible in his back pocket. Every day, you could see it stick out of his back pocket. A little New Testament. He'd meet with the whole school before school would start, and he'd pray and read the Bible. I mean, that would give me a little more confidence, (laughs) you know. But that's not the way things are anymore because they pulled the Bible out. In fact, they don't even want you to pray anymore. You understand? So we need to understand that there's there's a purpose for our judgment. And the Bible says that the spiritual man judgeth all things. And so you have to put your judgment on everything. But not to condemn. Not to make yourself look better because you're not. You're just dirt, like they're dirt. But I'm going to tell you something. The devil's going to come along and make you mud <laughs> if you don't start judging things around you. You've got to be careful about that. Protect your kids because they, you know, they need a good chance at life here. And a lot of that starts in their first years of development. <laughs> and that's where the devil wants them. Right in those first years. You protect them like a soldier. Like a mighty army. Amen. It's important. It says, these self-righteous judge others. I like this passage in Galatians 6, 1, where it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So we're dealing with a spiritual person, and a spiritual person that has the ability to be used to restore someone. But even though this spiritual person is in a place where he can restore someone, the Bible says, 
Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, it's not beyond you to fail in the very area that they're failing in. So you don't go at them with this judgmental attitude like, what's wrong with you? Say, man, let's help you out of this. Because you love them. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't help anybody. Because judgment is about helping. Judgment is about restoring. Judgment is about protecting. And sure, sometimes someone goes so far into sin that they're beyond allowing you to help them. So that's when you as a father or you as a, a, a pastor or whoever you are say, now for the protection of others, we have to remove you. That's church discipline. It's not because you couldn't do that. It's because they're the ones that are damaging the church. And a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so there's principles we go by, not because you're better, because we want to protect the house of God. And it's always a criticism of pastor. You, you all, you're too hard on this. <laughs> what do you want me to be? <laughs> you know, think about these precious souls. You want me to just, whatever happens, bring your kids in. Let everybody, folks, we need to stand for truth and righteousness. Amen. And then we need to protect it. And every person that's a member of Airdrie Baptist Church ought to have that same heart. Not just for the sake of personality or friendship or this, that, or the other, but for righteousness' sake. Amen? The Bible says, Thou art inexcusable. That means without excuse. Why? Thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judges doest the same things. Well, I haven't done what they've done. Look at James 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Think about that. Well, I've never murdered anybody. (laughs) So that means I'm better than the murderer. Well, you ought not murder anybody. And it's not right to do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're better. The Bible, you think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son Uh, took uh, of his living that the father gave to him, went out and partied, lived in utmost sin and, and, and wickedness, got to the bottom of the barrel, ended up feeding the pigs in the barn, began eating the food of the pigs for food. That's how far down he went. Finally, the Bible says he came to himself. He says, even my father's servants have it better than me. I'm going to go back to him and tell him I've done wrong. I've sinned before him and before heaven. And I'm a, just let me sleep in the servants' quarters. I'll, I'll, I'll clean your boots, whatever. Just let me, just help me to live. And the Bible says, while he, the father saw him get afar off, oh, his heart just exploded. He never had to ask, do I forgive my son? He had been forgiven a long time already. He just needed him to come back, humble. So this wicked prodigal son came back and the father received him and forgave him that's really the story here the story is a forgiveness of god the story is forgiveness and understanding you know where people are at and what it takes to really get back to that point of restoration which is simply a humbling of yourself you can't undo what you've done amen but there was another character involved 
the older brother. Now the father said, hey, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's put a ring on his finger. Let's put my uh, new clo- clothes on him and bring him back, right back into sonship. And, and he felt that, he said, wow, you know, I wanted to be a servant, but the, my father brought me right back into the home and made me what I ought to be as far as the family is concerned. And immediately the elder brother became jealous. You know what he said? I've served you for so long and you have never killed a fatted calf for me. You know what he was doing here? He's revealing something. He was revealing even though he hadn't gone and partied and spent all the father's money and gotten drunk and lived this wicked lifestyle that he has held bitterness in his heart for years against his dad because he didn't think his dad was doing enough for him. Then when he saw his dad do something for this wicked sinner, what wicked sinner? He was forgiven. He couldn't get past the sin of his brother, so he condemned and he judged him. After forgiveness, wow. And then revealed the bitterness of his own heart. You tell me who is a sinner in this story. Amen? should maybe be called the prodigal's brother story because that's what it's about. He thought he deserved better and did not rejoice when his brother repented. See, a judgmental person doesn't rejoice in repentance. They just glory in judgment. You see, judgment has nothing to do with getting him right. But folks, when someone comes back to God or gets right, our our hearts ought to be flooded with joy, just like the Lord's. The Bible says that there's, there's, there's rejoicing in heaven over one soul that repenteth. Yeah. Amen. He jumps up and down. He rejoices Amen. in the presence of the angels, the Bible says. And yet, for us, when someone gets right, all we can do is say, why are we giving him a chance? Why are we taking him back? <laughs> We're revealing the sin of our own heart. Who art thou that judges another? You think you'll escape? (laughs) You think we're going to escape the gaze of our Lord that day because we've never taken a drink yet we've been bitter and angry? Perhaps a person's never committed adultery but in their heart they've, they've lusted. Matthew 5, verse 27, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Oh, yeah, those adulterers. (laughs) Who art thou that judges? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that's not wrong. But what I'm saying is that's wrong too. And so we can't judge it. That's got to be put in God's hands. But what we can do is say, hey, we can't be around that person that is committing adultery because it's going to affect us. It's going to affect our children and so forth. But you're just as guilty. You understand? The same capacity is there. And so um, perhaps a person has not committed murder, but has hated in their heart. You ever hated somebody? You ever cut somebody off from your life and say, I'm never talking to them again? What is murder? But I say unto you, or you have heard that it was said of them of old time, 
Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in the danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That means sometimes there's an anger that motivates us towards righteousness and to defend. Like I said, you know, we were having that Sunday night sermon where I was talking about if your child is being abducted in the park, you're going to be angry. (laughs) Oh, can't get angry (laughs) now. That anger is going to motivate you to run faster than you've ever run. Maybe even to grab onto that car and ride it for three miles. Thought I'd never be able to do that. You know? But you're not letting go because of your love of the child. You understand? But that's not what it's talking about here. Hating somebody. They hurt my feelings. (laughs) You know? Or whatever other imaginations are going on in this thinker of yours. Do you understand that most of what you think up here is not right? And that you have the uncanny ability to take a little bit of truth and the devil is able to take that and twist it into something that's totally messed up. And yet you've made it your truth. And now that person is just like they did that to you when they don't even know what you're talking about. You gotta be careful about stuff like that because the devil can take advantage of you and all your hatred for someone else. They're going on with life. They're going to meet the Lord one day and be rewarded for their walk with God, and you're the one that's going to lose. Why? You know? Be careful what goes on up there. Think right. It goes on to say, but whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. What's Raka? Worthless. Empty. You're worthless. Be careful. I don't know how many fathers have said that to a son. You know, I've dealt with a lot of people in my office, young boys or boys that have grown up, and a lot of it came down to the things their dad told them. Do you understand? That's what the Bible talks about, blessing and cursing. You can curse your child. Maybe not because you're doing a spell on them, (laughs) but the words that you say get implanted in their heart. And because you are in a position of authority that is respected by them, and they love you to such an extent that the word that comes out of your mouth and gets implanted in their heart becomes truth to them. If you tell them they're worthless, they may just believe it. Or if you're stupid, you never do anything right. Now they grow up thinking they're defective. I can't do anything right. And you know what happens? They get jobs and they never do things right. Because they believe it. Do you understand that? So be careful, the worthless thing. There's nobody not, nobody is worthless. In fact, Jesus Christ proved that when he came to die on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the whole world. Everybody is worth something. Everybody is worth the fact that Jesus would come and give their life for them. And folks, I am not Calvinist. I do not believe that there's atonement for a select few. I believe that the atonement is for the whole world, for every person that has ever breathed or will breathe. And it's up to them whether they receive it. But don't blame God for lost, the lost of the world. And that's what that is. It's really just putting it on God. It's not God It's the individual. It's just another way to shy away from personal responsibility. Well, wouldn't that be great if I never have to choose anything? 
Anger. What is real anger? Anger is a, a settled, anger is a malice that is nursed inwardly. It's a malice. And folks, you don't have to go and blow your top to be an angry person. You understand that? Anger is something that simmers in the soul. It's what drives every critical statement you say. Well, I'm blown up. You're still angry. You're angry. And that makes you in danger. Not of hellfire if you're a child of God, but there sure is chastisement. And I'm surprised if you're a child of God, you haven't been convicted yet of that type of thing. 1 John 3.15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So that means if you can go on in your life with that simmering hatred for the rest of your days, you probably have never received Christ. A child of God understands just the simple, on the basis of your forgiveness and what happened to you when you got saved, that you've got no right to hate anybody. Because you're hating someone that the Lord loved enough to die for. Yeah. You understand? The self-righteous, there's also some misconceptions that they have. The first thing is they think they're going to escape judgment. It's interesting because I've talked to many people that believed I could, they could lose their salvation. Yet, their lifestyle didn't really... Uh, express that doctrine to me. But it's interesting, when somebody believes they can lose your salvation, well, if you do wrong, well, then you're probably really doing right. But they're not. In fact, I'll tell you something. Somebody that believes their salvation is a gift and that the Lord loved you enough to buy your soul with his very life and you are eter eternally secure in him, will do far better works than someone that believes that somehow they can cross a line and they can lose their salvation. I'll tell you why. Because your motivation is different. Amen. The Bible tells us service to God is not something that is motivated by fear, but it's motivated by love. Love says, by love, serve one another. How in the world could I ever do anything out of love when the only thing I'm concerned about is the fear of losing my soul? Yeah. There's no love there. In fact, what kind of God is that <laughs> that would tell me I could lose it and then not even tell me when that point is? Because yeah. every time I ask these people, well, what point do I lose it? They can't tell me. At what point? Well, there are certain things. What things? You don't think that'd be important for God to tell us? Yeah. <laughs> sure is no gift then. You're a very poor parent. Did you ever give your kid a gift and then when they did wrong, you went and took it back? Yeah. Then you never gave them a gift. You said, this is a reward for you to continue to live right. If you don't live right, then I'm going to take it back. <laughs> For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Yeah. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God yeah. is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. How about in Romans chapter 3, where it says that we're justified freely by Christ. 
freely. You know what the word freely is? Without a cause. He says, I'm going to justify you and there's no real reason why I should do this. <laughs> Amen. It's kind of like, I'm going to give you this gift, little Johnny, but you surely didn't earn it. <laughs> Amen. It's because I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. Do you understand that? Escape judgment. Verse 3, it says, And thinkest thou this, O man, thou, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou should escape the judgment of God? Thinketh. Thinkest thou, our thinker. There we go again, that thinker, you know. To think is to reason or to account or to reckon to impute or to number. So it's a calculation that I've made here. I've made some calculation that, you know what, those people, they deserve to be judged, but I'm going to escape it. Wow. It's like this one guy asked, and I read to him, he was a teacher, and he was of the Mennonite faith, but he was of a, a really, uh, really strange aspect of the Mennonite faith in work salvation. But... I said, well, this verse here in 1 John 5, it says, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. I says, do you know you have eternal life? Because the Bible says you can know. Well, he says, well, when I was younger, I would say no. But now that I'm older, I could probably say yes. I thought about that because I wasn't ready for that because to me, that's like, whoa, <laughs> you know? What he was saying is, when I was younger and foolish and I did stupid things, then I couldn't know that I'm saved. But now that I'm righteous and older and smarter and wiser and I live a righteous life, yes, I know that I'm going to heaven. Whew. I looked at this guy, my jaws just... That's not what it's saying. If you know that you're going to heaven based on what you do, you are so deceived. Like I said, the reason why people die and go to hell is not because of a lack of works. It's the presence of sin. How did you get rid of your sin? Like I said... That much, that much sticks out at the judgment. Oh, death, death. Oh, but it's just a little one, death. Yeah. It didn't say the wages of the big sins is death. It says the wages of sin is death. Yeah. Any sin. So basically when I meet God, there must be no presence of sin. Amen. That's why John the Baptist stood up that one day and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Yeah, taketh it away. Yeah, amen. He doesn't leave it behind. And by the way, the doctrine of losing your salvation is not an attack on man. You never deserved it. You were never good enough. You're not good enough to keep it. It's an attack on the Lord Jesus Christ and his sufficiency to pay for your sin on that cross 2,000 years ago. Because if you could lose it, he's got to come back and get it right. Do you understand that? My goodness, what a dangerous predicament you put yourself in when you listen to that doctrine of devils. Which it is. 
Amen. You don't want it to rip. <laughs> How shall you escape? How shall you escape? How can you flee from that is what he's saying. How are you going to run away from that? You can't run faster than your sin, my friend. You go to church every day of your life, you can be the best Christian in that church and pretending like you're the best Christian. Wear the best clothes, say the most wonderful things, serve the best in the church, and that much sin is revealed before God, you will go to the lake of fire. So how can I flee? How can I flee? How are you going to erase it? How are you going to get rid of it? There's only one way. And that's Jesus Christ. Oh, folks, don't we understand this? How could you ever be deceived by someone saying you could lose it? Put it back on yourself. The concept that has helped me very much is that faith is always extrospective. It must always point outward. See, what happens is that the devil comes along and he wants you to turn your faith inward. Every time I've dealt with someone that turned their faith inward, I had to sit down and counsel them about their, I, I think maybe, did I, did I lose my salvation? And every time they say, well, I don't do this, or I didn't do this, or I, I... See, they took their faith and they turned it back in at themselves. And then I do a little exercise. Okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about your salvation. Let's find out what you believe. Yeah. When you stand before God, and he were to say, why should I let you into my holy heaven? What's your answer? Now, the next word out of your mouth is going to reveal it. Well, I, wrong answer, unless it's I received. You get that? I say, do you think that Jesus paid for all your sins on the cross of Calvary, past, present, future? Oh, yes, preacher. Do you believe what he did is good enough? Oh, yes, preacher. I said, it's amazing when you turn your faith outward instead of inward. That's the difference. The devil will always try to make you the basis of salvation, and God will always make his son the basis of salvation. And the moment you point it in, if you can point it in and say, I know I'm going to heaven, God help your soul. God help your soul. You're the most deceived person in this room. Because obviously, the moment I turn my faith to myself, I'm a failure. Amen. If you could put your faith in yourself and say, I'm not a failure, I'm good, I'll be okay. Lord, help you. You've allowed something to form your conscience that is not of this book. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one. 
For all your righteousness is as filthy rags fit to be burned. That's the scripture way. So when I turn my faith to myself and say, oh no, I cannot do that. I look at myself and say, I have failed. I'm not good enough. I would have to go to hell. I am guilty. But then the Lord says, repentance toward God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And I take that faith that I've been putting in myself or my abilities, whatever it is, and I turn it towards the Son of God and immediately, he's enough. He paid it all. He took all the wrath of God. He became the propitiation for my sins. He is the full atonement. He died once for all, the Bible says. Why wouldn't he be enough? He is enough. Oh, I'm so glad today that I can stand before you and say, if it were me, I would go to hell. But I have a living Savior. I have been saved since 1994. And I have never lost it once. If I would have, it would have been in the first three seconds of my salvation experience. And if I did, I would have never got it back. Because that would have meant that Jesus failed. Mission failed. You'd have to come back for a second mission. (laughs) I'd have to be renewed unto repentance. And bringing and crucifying the Son of God afresh, the Bible says, bringing him to open shame. He'd have to come again to finish what he messed up. What am I doing here today? I'm showing you how you escape judgment. How you escape judgment. See, folks, just because you've grown up in a Christian home doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you prayed a prayer doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you're religious doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you know what's right and wrong doesn't mean that you're saved. You're saved when he becomes everything. Folks, this chair right here. I'm going to try this. My knee, I don't know if I can get back up. If I would say, I trust this chair... I trust it. And I want everybody to believe that I trust this chair. And I sit down. I trust the chair. Yeah. Say, preacher, why are you hanging on the pulpit? If you think you, if that chair is enough, why are you, and I understand this, I'm a pretty heavy guy. I've broken a lot of chairs. <laughs> this one I do trust. But I put 10%. half a percent of my weight on this pulpit, I'm not trusting the chair. When do you trust the chair? When do I prove to you that I've trusted this chair? When I take all the weight and I lift, I can't lift. I can lift this one up. See, then I'm saying I trust the chair. You're not saved until you trust Christ. Your religion has to go out the door. Church is great. It's the conduit for the message of the gospel to mankind. It's where those that have trusted Christ get together to be used by God for his purpose to bring people into his kingdom. But no way can the church save your soul. 
but it's where the saved souls go. Amen? So let me ask you, are you trusting? In whom ye trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Not death, burial, resurrection, baptism. Speaking in tongues, da, 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 da. Death, burial, resurrection, threefold message. That's your salvation. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The reason why you can't stand before God is you lack righteousness. And the only way to get it is through the gospel. The imputation of righteousness to your soul before God where you no longer have anything sticking out because it's gone. It's gone. Do you understand that? I don't stand before God today in my my positional truth as someone that is perfect but used to be bad. I stand before God in the record of Christ. I stand before him justified, never sinned. Never sinned. That's the record I stand before God with. It's his record. So either you go to God with your record or you go to God with Christ's record. But if you try to blend this record, guess which record takes precedent? Your record. This record was put on him on the cross. He took his record and gave it to you. And now the Father sees you and says, you're just like someone that has never sinned. That's why I'm going to heaven. Do you understand that? How can we escape (laughs) this judgment if we neglect so great a salvation? 